All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is April 30th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Where am I? I'm not in my garage. I'm not on anyone's back porch. I'm in the studio, just in a very remote corner of the studio because we had one of those good old-fashioned quarantine power surges that we found out, what, about 15, 20 minutes ago about Colin? So we are making uh, the best with this ill-lit and rarely visited corner of the studio, but I digress. Don't worry about the quality of the shot. We've got a jam-packed show tonight, and you know good and well what we're gonna lead with in just a second. Uh, judging by the amount of citrus emojis that I saw in the live chat before we went on air, you know good and well what we're gonna lead with. Tennessee is on fire to the point where, even though it's intangible in nature, if you were to touch their recruiting, I think you'd suffer second-degree burns. We're gonna talk about that tonight. Maybe some changes, maybe some updates to the college football calendar. Could things start on time? If everyone's not on board, does it matter? Is synchronicity, that's the big key word I've been throwing out to you, and so we're gonna talk about that. I'm also going to give you some pretty eye-opening numbers that shouldn't be shocking to you about recruiting rankings, star rankings, and how anyone who tells you they don't matter is, well, for lack of a better term, a fool. And that includes folks at national networks who like to take shots on Twitter. That'll be addressed tonight. And a couple of your questions as well. Uh, we, if you missed it, did the first ever of its kind, not last, gonna have them every week, but first ever Late Kick Extra podcast the other day. If you haven't already, check us out anywhere you download podcasts, Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever the case may be, just search Late Kick with Josh Pate, you'll find it. A lot of you just flooded us with those five-star reviews, some written reviews. Those are like gold, quite literally, to us in the podcasting world. So if you uh, can, toss us one of those five-star reviews. And we did Q&A. I gathered all of your questions from email, from Twitter, from the YouTube live chat right now. And so I'm going to do that every, I'm going to record that every Tuesday, and it'll be up every Wednesday morning. So... If you don't get your questions answered on the live version of Late Kick here on YouTube, they'll be answered in due time. Just send me them, just give me your name, let me know what you want answered, and I'll try and answer them for you. But we had a lot of fun on that. I really actually got into that the other night. And I recorded it one time and it didn't record, so I had to do it all over again. That's how you know I had fun doing it. All right, so let's, um, let's talk about what really is at the forefront today. Remember the focus. When we were on air Sunday over in the corner that we normally sit in in the studio, we were talking about Tennessee recruiting, and I told you how big a deal it was that Dylan Brooks from little tiny Roanoke, Alabama, had committed to the University of Tennessee. That was a five-star defensive end, outside linebacker type. And at the time, we were talking about how big a deal this was, and it is a big deal. And since that time, you know what Tennessee's gone on to do? They've gone on to land five kids in as many days, culminating today with the announcement of Terrence Lewis, another five-star linebacker this time out of South Florida, commits to the University of Tennessee. This is, again, can't be overstated, a huge get for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt. I'm not going to state the obvious, okay? This is a kid. Any kid who is rated like this and who has this kind of offer list coming out of high school is in immediate position to possibly challenge for playing time at Tennessee. It is an upgrade to the roster every time you get this kind of kid on campus. But I'm just going to read some of the things that they've done this week, okay? Just a snapshot of Tennessee recruiting right now. They are, blink and you have missed it, number three in the nation in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. They are the number one team in the SEC right now. There are some people yelling at you as we speak. They're yelling at me, really. And they're saying, oh, that's only because teams like Alabama haven't taken a lot of commits. Maybe. Uh, but here's the thing. I know these kids are committed to Tennessee. I can't know who's going to commit elsewhere. I continue. Uh, that's the fifth commit 
this week. I think it's like the, I was on the Vols, uh, Go Vols 24-7 board earlier today. Uh, one of the guys over there aptly pointed out it's like their eighth commitment in the last calendar month, so not bad. So you got Dylan Brooks, and that was the commitment Sunday. Then you have Terrence Lewis today. They got a four-star defensive back out of IMG. That's down in Bradenton, Florida. They got a four-star wide receiver out of Georgia. The top JUCO running back in the country committed today and somehow has already been overshadowed. That's a kid out of South Carolina. And think about what we're talking about here. When you talk about the six-hour radius and obviously Hollywood, Florida, that's down almost near Fort Lauderdale and Miami, that gets out of that six-hour radius. But what have we talked about on this show when we talk about Tennessee recruiting we talked about the fact that Jeremy Pruitt, with the six-hour radius around the University of Tennessee, being able to get into pretty much all of the state of Tennessee, being able to get into Atlanta, should be able to make noise in the Carolinas, but also when you extend south, maybe down outside of just North Alabama, Montgomery, Mobile, his connections there, Chambers County and, and Randolph County and getting into Roanoke, for example, to get Dylan Brooks, it already pays off. And then you go into South Florida, that's a place when he was at Alabama, they always recruited lights out. Man. And so Jeremy Pruitt's a guy who could maybe get into East Texas and grab a kid, go up into Ohio and grab a kid. They went into Georgia, like I told you, they're starting to make inroads in a bunch of different places. But here's the thing to ask yourself, what are they selling? What's Tennessee got to sell right now? It's going to sound like I'm about to bash Tennessee, but I'm not. This is a huge compliment to Tennessee, considering what they're doing. Right now, what's Tennessee selling? Draft hype? They just sent two kids to the draft. Second round, seventh round. That's really nothing to write home about. Uh, there are there's G5 programs that did a whole lot better than Tennessee the last draft. Are they selling championships? They haven't won one this millennium, guys. Are they selling big wins over their rivals? I looked it up. Plug your ears for a second if you're in Knoxville. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, the three biggest rivals for the University of Tennessee over the past decade and a half, which is basically the entire lifespan of a recruit right now. Last 15 years, they are 7-38 and 38 versus those three teams. What are they selling? All they're selling right now is something intangible in nature. They're selling a vision. They're selling hope. They're selling promise for the future. They don't have anything tangible to sell guys, and yet they're still landing them. Haven't signed them yet. There's no reason to think they won't. So now imagine this. Imagine how much more real this feels. And when I say this, I mean the threat of Tennessee making a real splash in the East and making a real move on Georgia and Florida. Right now, let's call it what it is. It is their division, and really it's Georgia's division until someone else knocks them off. But what happens if Tennessee does pull an upset over Florida early this upcoming year? What if what if they pull an upset over Georgia? What if they do the unthinkable and they beat Alabama for the first time since Philip Fulmer was in short pants? What if they do that? What if they're a challenger? What if all of a sudden you log on to a website, click on college football, click on SEC standings, click on division standings, and in October, there's Tennessee. They're challenging. What if you click on college football playoff rankings and there's Tennessee at number nine, number seven? What happens all of a sudden if some tangible results start rolling off the assembly line? If they're able to start recruiting like this with really nothing to sell, that program lost to Georgia State and Brigham Young last year at home. The coaching staff seemed to be on the hot seat midway through the year, and they turned it around and won all the games after the Alabama game. If they're able to finally start putting some tangible results on the table, imagine how much better that recruiting effort could be. I was in the chat, actually, earlier when we were trying to get power up in the studio and whatnot, and Andrew on Twitter asked, how did Tennessee adapt to digital recruiting when so many others seem to be struggling? This is a good question. It's a very underrated question. 
how they land in all these kids. And they're not out on the road right now. I mean, they're on the phone, they're on Zoom, they're in someone's DMs. They don't have a technological advantage over anyone else, but what did I tell you? As soon as we went under quarantine, as soon as drastic measures had to be taken, we were gonna see somebody, some coaching staff out there was gonna figure out a way. Of course, it ends up being Jeremy Pruitt and the technical wizard that we all know him to be, but it's not the head coach. Who do you have working in your graphics departments? Who do you have working in your tech departments? Who do you have in your design departments? Who do you have in your marketing departments? Normally, you know who these are? These are not seven or six figure paid head coaches, assistant coaches, grad assistant probably. I mean, there are probably gonna be some people whose names you hear about three or four years from now that have been just killing it in Knoxville and they've been doing things that are pretty next level and they've been ahead of the curve and they've been doing whatever it takes to catch a 17-year-old and 18-year-old kid's eyes, and it's working right now. Now, here's the next step. The next step is holding on to these kids. And then the third step is when the season finally gets here, all this positive momentum you've built up in the offseason, what is it worth? I mean, you can't afford to start another year like you did last year, but Harrison Bailey, for example, the quarterback right now, what if he's your starter initially or eventually this year, you know, you're talking about tangible results. How about this for a tangible result? What if I'm watching Tennessee in week seven and Jim Chaney has a quarterback that he can work with and a quarterback that he can fashion a functioning offense around and an offense that looks on par with what some of the other big boys can do. And at the very least, it's an offense that if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, if I'm that coaching staff, I can take out in recruiting, on the recruiting trail and say, you see this? We're doing things a little bit different. Now, Albeit, granted, we don't have the skill here yet. That's why I'm in your living room. I need you, but imagine how you fit. Look at what we've already done. Look at the guys we already have on board. Imagine how you would fit in what we're doing now. This isn't Tennessee of 2015. This is not Tennessee of 2010. This is Tennessee 2020 and beyond, and things are gonna be a whole lot different here. One last thing. I recall, actually, you know what, Colin? I was sitting right here physically in the very spot I'm in now. We were in the studio. It was National Signing Day just earlier this year. Seems like an eternity ago, but it was January of 2020. And it was me right here, and it was Barton Simmons right there, and Steve Wolfong was over there, and Colin was in the control room, and Aaron was in there, and Trey was in there, and we had the entire National Signing Day show all laid out, and we had some nice, pretty, fancy graphics made, and we were going to be able to pull up player cards and team profiles for anyone. Colin was going to be able to do it on a moment's notice. And then something happened. It was a welcome surprise to people like Colin. Tennessee cracked the top 10, and we didn't know that was going to happen. And I dare say it was sort of unexpected. And I remember after the show, we had had Nick Saban on, we had had Mario Cristobal on, we had Mike Leach on, we went, what, two or three hours on air, everyone's drained, and yet when we get off the air, we said, huh, quality control, post-inspection here, what could we have done better? Well, who, who would have known? Who would have been able to expect it when the dust settled? Tennessee was going to be a top 10 class. Uh, they got this done in a way last year, this last recruiting cycle. They were able to sell intangibles and a vision this last recruiting cycle and bump themselves up into the top 10. Well, now they're top five nationally. Uh, I got news for you. There's some other big announcements coming up in May. For example, Caden Salter, maybe, four-star dual threat quarterback. Keep a close eye on him. If you had to nail me to the wall today and ask me where he's going, I put Big Orange in the lead for him. So I don't think this is over. It's not one of those deals where we're looking at a trajectory and Oh, remember when Tennessee peaked in April when no one could leave their house and now they're barely in the top 20? Don't think that's going to happen. It's 
How good can this class be? Is it a top five? Is it a top 10? Either way, it's a whole lot better than what things had been. Let's move on. There's nowhere to drop my papers. We got some developments. I would call them developments. Big question on everyone's mind, aside from the obvious, when you remove what's really important and we just talk about college football, when are we gonna start again? When can we get back on campus? Are students gonna be on campus for the fall? And so I gave you a keyword the other day. I told you the keyword is just synchronicity. It's not reopening, it's not anything like that, because if they open Florida Atlantic, but the University of Florida is still closed, what does that tell me about the future of the college football season? And are we gonna start in October, or January, or whatever the case may be? Synchronicity, that was gonna be the key. And the big question is, is this a situation where it's gotta be all or none? In other words, is it going to be a situation where people get together and say, if all 130 teams can't get their act together, if the government officials in the municipalities and the states where all 130 teams reside don't universally claim that you're good to go, everyone can come back on campus, we're gonna lift all the restrictions, is it a situation where we can't have college football? Well, at the time, no one was ready to answer the question, nor did they need to. Now we creep a few weeks down the road, as I told you, a long time to kick off. A lot of stuff's going to change. Things could come along in the medicine front that we don't know about. Things could come along in data that we couldn't have expected, or maybe it just takes some time to provide context with. Well, now we get a little bit more time removed from when this initially started, and now some people start going on the record. So now remember how this started from a college perspective. It was NCAA tournament time, you remember, painfully. And all of a sudden, NCAA tournament's gone after the conference tournaments are gone. But the point I want you to remember, as I told you at the time, is the way that this was shut down is not the way it's going to be reopened. I think that's obvious. But in a collegiate context, the way that things were shut down was largely from an NCAA level. Because the NCAA tournament, whether you're talking about the SEC tournament or the ACC tournament, it all bleeds up into the NCAA tournament. So that was an NCAA deal. College football is a different beast entirely. NCAA is not running this. Conference presidents and or university presidents, conference commissioners, TV probably, let's be real, gonna have a pretty good say in this. That's who's going to decide ultimately how things shake out if and when we start getting clearance from the proper authorities and officials that things can reopen and you can have kids on campus and yada, yada, yada. So the biggest question, all or none, that to me is, aside from the synchronicity of all this, that's the big question. Now I want you to listen to some quotes. So today, apparently, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, goes on radio uh, down on, I think it was, yeah, it was 1010XL. It was down in Jacksonville. This is a quote from Greg Sankey. This is the most important commissioner in college football. Quote, the hope is we all move along together, and today that's been the conversation. Collective thinking about how we have to adjust, that's the most healthy. If that's the template, and now pay really close attention, there is room for different conferences to make different decisions. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Let's continue. If there's a couple of programs that aren't able, does that stop everyone? I'm not sure it does, again, said commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. He continues, but the ability to stay connected will remain important. I'm going to add one more quote before I go back on this. An anonymous G5 athletic director with Stadium.com. I could definitely see scenarios where all but one or two schools from a conference are ready to proceed and the season is played without them. I think the group of five will follow the Power Five's lead and the Power Five conferences will defer to TV networks to determine which schedule 
is preferable. Now we start to get a little more context, and I want you to remember the words I said when I came on air. Welcome to Late Kick Live. It is April 30th, the year of our Lord 2020. We would have just been coming out of spring ball wrapping up. We would have had all of May and all of June and then half of July before we had media days. And then we would finish July and get into August before we even opened fall camp. There's still, my point being, a long time for things to be sorted out. We had and have had over the past 48 to 72 hours a number of universities go on record as saying, as of now, we plan on kids being on campus for the start of fall semester. I understand there's some underlying factors that are financial in nature that go behind those announcements, but still the announcements are being made. That's of course the key. It's different in NFL versus college. You gotta have kids on campus if you're ever going to justify playing football with college athletes, which as of the moment they still are. Let's just keep an eye on this. As I told you, it's not a question of whether college football's 2020 season is gonna happen. The questions are more logistic in nature than will it exist. Deep breath, deep breath, because I don't want to get carried away here with what I'm about to talk about. Some of you probably have played chess before. Some of you have played chess and ended up becoming experts at the game. But the fact of the matter is, no matter where you are now, when you played chess, when you were a beginner, and then you first started to get the feel for the game, you got to the point where you were probably in a match and you found yourself in a situation or situations, in my case, where you think you've got someone. You all of a sudden realize that your mind's moving more than just one move ahead and you think that you've got someone and there is no more humbling and worse feeling in chess or in life than when you think you are the gotcha guy and then you realize that the other guy's got you instead. And that checkmate comes out of nowhere. Well, our friends at a national outlet that shan't be named the other night on Twitter, they were in such a position and they thought that they had you. And by you, I mean anyone who believes that star rankings matter. Now, this anonymous national media entity used 24-7 sports as their database. I'm gonna hold up what I'm talking about here. I think a lot of you probably saw this. Now, the context behind this little piece of paper I'm holding in my hand and the tweet that accompanied it basically said, doesn't matter how many stars you had coming out of high school. And the entire insinuation is those stars are irrelevant. And here's the evidence, okay? This is where they thought they had you. This is where they see your king there and they have moved the rook in for the kill. NFL draft by recruiting stars. I want you to keep in mind, someone with access to a national network's Twitter account put this out. All rounds of the 2020 NFL draft only 15 players who were rated five stars in high school were drafted, but 77 players who were rated four stars were drafted. 111 players who were rated three stars were drafted. And there were 27 players who were rated two stars who were drafted. What does this mean? Stars are irrelevant, obviously. Now I want to read you some very interesting stats. Does anyone spot the problem here? It should be obvious if you have a even an, a kindergarten uh, equivalent of an understanding of math, logic, whatever the case may be. But if you don't, I want to provide some context here. In a given year, there are 32 five-star rated players here at 24-7 Sports. 
Any given cycle, you have about 300 kids who are rated four-star, thereabouts. You have about 1,800 kids in any given cycle who are going to be rated three-stars. And so now that we factor in the amount of said rated players, I want you to listen to what numbers say. The numbers for this last draft, for example, the odds of being a first-round pick in the last draft, the 2020 NFL draft, if you were a five-star kid coming out of high school, it turns out your odds were one in five of going in the first round. If you were a four-star, your odds were one in 21. Stars don't matter. Continuing. If you were a three-star, stars don't matter, one in 184. If you were a two-star or a one-star, your odds were one in like 1,700. Point being, uh, stars very much matter. It became in vogue when recruiting blew up, when the recruiting industry blew up, and this got really big, and everyone started talking about kids within the context of how many stars do they have next to their name. It became really in vogue for someone who wanted to carry the intellectual superiority in the room to say, stars don't matter. You know how I know? Because I know this kid who was rated three stars one time who went on to the NFL. Cool. What do the numbers say? Like, do we understand percentages? Do we understand odds? Do we understand how any of this works? So our Bud Elliott put out a really good piece that he probably was able to write months ahead of time because everyone knows what the popular argument's going to be coming out of the NFL draft. And sure enough, they take the bait, do the, I guess, high school interns that are running the social media feed for said national entity. Uh, I want you to listen to these key numbers. Again, there's no opinion here. This is just data. They don't really care about how you feel about it. Four and five stars made up just 7% of recruits, yet 66% of the first round picks. Four and five star recruits were 29 times more likely to be number one picks than other D1 recruits. 2020 first round, it had the highest average star rating of any draft in history. The average star rating coming out of high school for kids who were drafted in the first round of this draft was 3.75 stars. That is astronomically high. I want you to remember the context here. You're not born a four-star. You're not born a five-star. There are tens of thousands of kids who play high school any given year. And it is up to, to be honest with you, a pretty small number on a ratings council like at 24-7 Sports to comb the entire country, watch, scout, grade, and assign a star rating. To understand how good this process has become, is to understand how significant these numbers are. There was only one player rated two-star or less out of high school who was taken first round this year. That's a new record. Again, four- and five-star kids, it, they made up just 7% of recruits, but 66% of first-round picks this year. Translation, they're doing an awesome job at rating four-star, five-star kids. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a path to the draft or the first round or the Hall of Fame if you're a three-star kid. It just means there are other factors in play, which circles around to what I actually wanted to talk about, and that is what a recruiting ranking is. I think to nail down what a recruiting rating is and to wipe out about 90% of the garbage that goes into quote-unquote debating this stuff, you have to understand what the rating itself is. Now, I'm giving you my interpretation here. This is not Bud Elliott. This is not Barton Simmons. I listen to the guys talk all the time. I listen in on the recruiting calls and the rating council's meetings all the time because it's fascinating to me. I don't even take part in the conversation. I'm not on the council. I just listen in because I want context. It gets pretty vicious. It's like a knife fight in a conference call setting sometimes about how thorough they want to get in evaluating these guys. 
there are so many misconceptions I used to hear before I came to work here. One is, well, you know, once they see an offer sheet that starts beefing up, they got to bump the kid's rating up. Garbage. Doesn't happen. Well, you know, once a kid commits to this school, then they got to bump the rating. Garbage. Doesn't happen. Flat out doesn't happen. In fact, it's such garbage that in the council themselves, they'll sit there and be aware of that stigma and be worried about bumping a kid because they think they're gonna to have to deal with that. That's how thorough they are. But let's think about what a recruiting rating is. A recruiting ranking to me has always been a raw talent-based rating of a kid based on who they are right now, what we may project them to be, but it's all based on what we have to go on right now, right this second when they're a junior or a senior in high school. That's not important. It seems to me what's more important is to talk about what a recruiting ranking is not. I wrote down some things. A recruiting ranking is not a psychological profile of a kid. If there are serious potential character concerns from the neck up, it doesn't show up on their huddle film. It doesn't show up when you go watch them at the All-American Games. It doesn't show up when you go watch them at a seven-on-seven -seven tournament. I don't know if you have flawed character, okay? Reality is that could very much end up with you not maximizing your potential at the next level. Is that a recruiting bust? Is that a star rankings bust? Or is that just stuff you could have never known? It is not an intelligence test. It is not an aptitude test. It's not a prediction of whether you'll be able to avoid freak injuries in high school that could de or college that could derail your career. And a recruiting ranking is not a magic eight ball that can let everyone know how you're going to handle the social change that comes in the transition from high school to college. And my point is, I just pointed out a lot of things that could potentially derail a high four-star kid's career. If any of those happen, are they recruiting busts? When we look at kids who don't pan out, rated five stars, four stars, et cetera, how many times do you trace it back and look at them in high school and say, oh, they were just overrated? Look at that. They were, they were a model citizen in college. They never suffered major injury. They kept their head on straight, kept their nose clean. They were given tons of opportunity, and they just never fulfilled what we thought their potential was. That happens. I would argue five to one, 10 to one ratio more times than not. It's, well, kid didn't keep his nose clean. Well, he had injury. I mean, who could have seen back-to-back -back ACL tears coming in consecutive years? Well, it, the, the transition from a small town to a really big university, he just didn't handle it well. Had some character issues that we couldn't have seen. If a kid washes out because of those reasons, to me, it's not a recruiting bust. It's never been a recruiting ranking bust. You just need to understand when you see a star rating next to a kid's name, that star rating doesn't represent 100% of the formula of what it's going to take for him to succeed at the college level. It does have a lot to do with talent, skill, or maybe raw intangibles, measurables, and talents that you think and you project will translate into skills that could make you elite at the next level. It's not an aptitude test. It's not a character test. It's not a social test. So there are a lot more things that go into making you fulfill that potential in college than just talent-based ratings. But yet that's what you have to go on if you're trying to rate kids coming out of high school. So it really aggravates me when folks talk about recruiting bust and star ratings bust and you never hear the context about what went into said player being a bust at the next level. I'd also encourage you, by the way, to look up Buzz Peace on that. And I'm going to talk some more about this on the Sunday show. But Chris Hummer put out a fantastic article, a really deep dive. Earlier today, I think it was posted. If you go to 247sports.com, you'll be able to look it up on once these programs get kids on campus, which ones 
are investing in all sorts of different areas to maximize their potential and to develop. In other words, who is developing the talent the best once they get it on campus? You won't be too shocked to know who's at the top of the list. Uh, let's get to some questions, and then I want to give you a few programming notes before we go off the air tonight. Butch asked me, he's actually asked a couple times, i got to get to this question. If you're a five-star, you can think along with me actually on this. When you're a five-star, let's just pretend you have offers from all 130 schools, FBS schools. Everyone's going to let you take an official visit. Where are you taking your visits? So a lot of times, the reason I say everyone's going to allow you to, everyone wants to visit Hawaii, but Hawaii's gotten smart to that. So unless they think they got a real shot at you, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm Dylan Brooks, I'm a five-star kid from Roanoke, Alabama. I'm probably not going to Hawaii. So if I call them up, they're probably saying, thanks, but no thanks. You can come out here. You're just going to have to buy your own ticket. But if that's off the table, I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to Ohio State. This is a no order. I'm going to Ohio State because I want to visit the standard bearer in the Big Ten. I want to be around Ryan Day and his staff. Uh, they are obviously, they're not doing something right. They're doing everything right. I don't think they're doing anything wrong right now. And so I'd love to visit that. I'd love to just take in that whole scene. I would love to visit Hawaii for no reasons that really relate to where I'm going to play my college football. I'd love to go to Alabama because I'd love to be recruited and spend time with the greatest coach, in my opinion, in the history of college football. I would love to visit Oregon because I love Mario Cristobal and because uh, from a facility standpoint, that place is probably unique to just about anywhere else in America. It's a very unique situation. It's a different setting in Eugene and to me, that's the top program on the West Coast right now, too. And I'd love to go to LSU. I'd love to go to LSU because all we did last year on Late Kick, all I had to do was just a few really positive videos about LSU, and they, they adopted us as their own. And when we went to games last year in Baton Rouge, all the food that you could ever want, I, I'm pretty sure I could have spent a month at someone's house down there. All I had to do was ask. And so I figure, all I did was start a YouTube channel. What if I could... What if I could throw for 3,000 yards down there? How would they treat me on an official visit? How would this guy, how would Ed Orgeron, if you're watching on YouTube, how would he act if I got him in a private setting and I could just, I just like to ask him questions. I would like to talk to Ed Orgeron in my recruiting visit about nothing to do with football. I'd like to ask him about his mom, Coco. I'd like to ask him about all these stories that you hear about him that you don't quite know if they're true and people in a professional setting are a little bit too scared to ask him. Um, you talk to high school coaches, for example. Talk to some high school coaches, the ones who have been with Orgeron, for example, in off-the-record settings and the stories that he tells. Those are the kind of stories that I love to hear. So those are the visits that I would take, Butch, if I could take five and I had no limit on where I could go. Uh, Metcraft asked, best wide receiver in college football this year, Jalen Waddell would be my guess for that one. And if it's not him, Jamar Chase, uh, that's one of those situations where if you argue with me, I'll be happy to let you take the one that you're arguing for and I'll take the leftovers. Jalen Waddle, though, uh, is, is very, very good. However, so is Mr. Chase. I'm standing actually about 10 feet from where that catch happened right there. Uh, so here's what's happening right now. What's happening, well, literally what's happening is we're sitting in the uh, corner of the studio that we never visit because we had a power surge, but Colin somehow got us on air. So uh, if you want to, you can give Colin a round of applause because he's the only reason that we had a show tonight. However, if we can get things fixed for Sunday, we'll be back over there. If not, we'll be up here. The uh, Late Kick podcast did really good numbers the other day, I'm told. And what we're doing is every Late Kick live show that we do, including the one right now, gets transferred into podcast form. If you want to listen to the audio-only version, you can do that. 
But what we've also done is I'm taking your questions as you email them to me. Uh, you see the email address there on the bottom of the screen. You can tweet at me and I would appreciate a follow. A lot of you have followed me on Twitter. It's just more communal that way. Uh, you could also hit us up obviously in the comment section or in the live chat section. And I try and aggregate as many as possible and I'm recording a separate podcast, Late Kick Extra, every Tuesday for a Wednesday release. And it's just, the reason I like it is because I can format shows all day long. But really all I wanna do is talk about what you wanna talk about. Uh, the, one of the most golden rules in our business that so many people violate is they make the show for themselves. I don't make this show for me. If I made the show for me, it would probably bore you because I would talk about the same four or five things and some of them wouldn't even be football related. I make it for you. What's the easiest way to make sure you're happy with that? Let you make it for yourself and then I'll just try and execute it. I'll try not to screw it up. And so that's what I would very much appreciate if you guys did. Just hit me with the questions. I got so many of them last week. So however long we have to make that podcast, if we start having to do two a week, whatever the case may be, we'll get them all answered. And so I really appreciate that. A lot of you gave us those five-star reviews and those uh, subscriptions to the podcast itself, the written reviews, all that stuff really helps us out more than you could ever imagine. So we'll be back here Sunday night, same time, 7 Eastern, uh, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Also, probably going to have a sneak peek of a big feature that we have coming Monday, and I'll have that for you by the time the Sunday show rolls around. A little, um, little interview we have lined up. I'm going to record it probably tomorrow, so... That falls through. Forget I ever said anything, but I think we got that lined up for tomorrow. Until then, for Colin getting us on air miraculously, for Aaron, for everyone else with the podcast team, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks for watching. Late kick, and we will see you back here Sunday night.